Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Look, eight. it's only films to be bad with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a vegan butcher, and I love films. As Archimedes once said, Eureka, I have found it. The missing song from The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, nice one, Archimedes. When Love is Gone is a real banger for sure. Nice one. Every week I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Jamila Jamil, Sharon Stone and even Freddie Campbell's. But this week it is the award-winning actor Michael Gibson. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get 25 minutes extra chat and questions with Michael and the secret and the full uncut video. All that and more over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So Saturday is the day I will be doing a live resurrection episode of the podcast for the Unmute Festival with the Insta star, influencer and comedic genius that is Alistair Green returning live to your screens October 24th at 9pm. Get your tickets at the Unmute Festival website, I believe. As for TV, if you haven't started yet, you can watch the whole of season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app. Watch it, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel happy and possibly other emotions. Don't let me tell you how to live your life. And if you're an American who listens to this, the fourth episode of Soulmates is on AMC this Monday. It was written by Evan Placey and it is one wild ride. Do not miss it. So, Michael Gibson. Michael Gibson is an actor I have admired for many years. If you don't think you know him, you actually do. He's in sort of everything. And he also won the Olivier for playing King George in Hamilton. If you were lucky enough to see that, he would have blown your mind. We recorded this over Zoom a few months ago, and even though he hadn't done his homework, he was very, very good under pressure, and I think you'll love him. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 118 of Films to be Buried with. and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a superstar, an actor, a lighthouse man, a writer, an Olivier Award winner, and, as I will get to, one of... uh, someone that means something very special to me. Please welcome to the show, the brilliant Mr. Michael Gibson! Hello, Brett. How are you? 
How are you, Michael? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. I'm um, I'm in the middle of a pandemic, like everybody else is at the moment, and doing lots of work in my garden and cooking um, lots. We're, reco- <laughs> we're recording this uh, over Zoom. You appear yeah. to be in a cupboard. I'm not quite in a cupboard. No, I'm actually in my bedroom. So this, this is, is my excellent. voiceover booth. It's quite good fun. This is excellent. You do look like yeah. you're in a sort of <laughs> quite shit spaceship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now... Michael Gibson, I've got lots of things to talk to you about. First thing is, I mean, the main thing is that I don't want to put... So, we have met a couple of times. You might not remember, but basically, I am your stalker. Uh, and this is the longest <laughs> we've uh, talked. I don't want to scare you. It but, is, but uh, I do remember meeting you. I remember meeting you at the those rehearsal spaces, and we'd had a nice chat in the corridor one day, and we talked. Yeah, you got that's when you got the restraining order. Um, huh. Is that, A, I saw you in Hamilton, which you won the... Olivier for that's right uh, yeah which I did want to talk to you about let's talk about that first you finished that you did a year right yeah I did I did the first year of Hamilton in London which I finished in not not November just gone the November before end of that November 2000 what we 2020 now 2000 what is it 20 it's 2020 now 2018 end of 2018 I finished yeah and you were absolutely brilliant and I talked about you in that because I think what you did was a masterclass in pausing the way like you. you would hold like in such a funny way, like really, really funny, really funny use of silence. Like it was a really clever. Thank you. Your timing of just holding the whole room for such a sort of busy show. When you were on stage, it was often like nothing was happening. You were just staring up at the balcony and it was like, oh, it was well, so I think, good. I think that comes down to um, <clears throat> the director, Tommy Cale, who directed Hamilton in America and is part of the creative team that sort of put it together with Lynn. And, and I sort of attribute Tommy be, with being one of the one of the four main cogs that makes that show what it is. If, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's pretty good. And Tommy was always <laughs> constant. Popular. Yeah. Tommy was always reminding us that the audience needs, wants to lean in. They always want uh, to lean in. Don't make them sit back, make them lean in, make them listen. And I yeah. think that was me pushing that note to its extreme where I could do nothing and let the audience really lean in. Like, what's he going to do? Yeah. And, and by doing nothing, like literally holding the pause, made them oh, lean man. in so much that they'd start giggling, which was quite good fun to play with every night. So, yeah, it was, it was quite it's scary. Also, <laughs> that part is like structured like a joke, isn't it? You have three songs, right? And they, yeah. uh, and they each... The, it's the same song with a build. It's like a proper joke structure. Yeah. So the, you... yeah, the three. Yeah, exactly. The three songs are there, and I th- are there to sort of tell the story of King George from afar talking to mm. America, saying, hmm, "Hang on, you want to you want to leave? You can't yeah. do that." And um, and the comedy comes in in the way that King George is like, "Fuck you, sorry, mate, you can't just leave <laughs> me." So thank you for that. It was it was an incredible thing to be a part of. What was it like? Because you did a year, which is a lot, actually. Yeah. All jokes aside, every single day doing the same thing is yeah. a lot. But you were also in the hottest show in town, and I'm sure it was like standing ovations every night. Yeah. Did it feel exciting every night, or did it ever become like an office job? Was it ever like, okay? Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always that, that element of it becomes a job, and you've got to commute into town every day and you've got to battle through the tubes and you know there might be shit going on at home and or in your life and you've got to go on stage and pretend that that hasn't happened in front of 1500 people and who have who have traveled some of them the world to see this incredible yeah. show and spent hundreds of pounds on tickets i mean a family of four top price tickets were spending a thousand pound 
for a night out in the theatre. I mean, you know, so you had to bring it every night. Yeah, yeah. So you had to sort of politely remind yourself of that every night. And I think with my, you know, the experience that I that I have, which isn't much, but in comparison to some of the cast, maybe I I was able to sort of be the guy in sometimes. Like, Come on, guys, let's let's go out because it was it was tiring, especially for the yeah, other guys. Yeah. You know, they were physically jumping around the stage. But I think in terms of bringing it every night, I mean, when the material is that good, even when it's just eight minutes of, a, you know, of, of three songs, it was that good. And people were so excited to see this idiot walk out on stage in all this bling and ready to sing the, yeah. the earworm song that they all wanted to hear and or didn't know. And then they knew they would go away singing it. And of course, the rest of the show was just insane. So to be even in the wings of that show every night yeah. and just hearing the music and the lyrics was was pretty inspiring, really. So yeah. And were cool. you good as a, as an entire company? Because uh, I was very aware that like you were separate from the cast in terms of you yeah. were literally separate. You, you yeah, no, I was. Your I mean, own <laughs> and the thing was, they. I mean, this is the fault of the way the theatre management. They sort of put the, the the way the Victoria Palace is sort of laid out backstage is that there's two sides to it. Literally, you walk in one and you cross the stage, and then there's another side of dressing rooms, and all the ensemble and the swings were at one side with all the really? wardrobe, and, and all the principals were at the side where the stage door was. So I was there whilst all the principals were on stage. So if I wanted to, go, I mean, I did go and go on little jaunts and see everybody and hang out with people when I had a bit of time off. But, but it meant that I had to kind of cross the whole stage, go up hundreds of flights of stairs, which was, I did used to do more than, more than a few times a week, but it wasn't like I could just go and hang in next door's dressing room and watch, yeah. watch Netflix and do the thing. Cause, but no, I mean, it, in many ways I was separate because the yeah. role demands that. And I spent a lot of time in rehearsals at home whilst everybody else was getting on with learning music and dance routines. And then I'd get called in on a Friday and we'd run a number. There was one day where we got called in. It was like week three of rehearsals and they'd started banding elements of the show together. And they'd say, okay, guys, so we're going to go from uh, from the end of my shot through to Helpless. And it's like, okay, so that's me. So I'd step yeah. up. And um, and at the time when when we were in rehearsals, Star Wars: The Last Jedi had just come out, which I have a brief, very very fucking brief moment in. I've got like one line where I say "sir" or "yes, sir" or something. Yeah. And Tommy Kale, who's the director of it of Hamilton, is is he knows everybody. I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna take over the fucking world, yeah. Tommy. He's he's a smart man. And he was talking to me about he was oh, I'm going to the premiere of of The Last Jedi at wherever it was Leicester Square or something like next week. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in it and I'm not going, <laughs> but great, <laughs> yeah. you have fun. And anyway, so like we had a tea break and two minutes later, this was like one of the days that I, this is my story, that like, I showed up having yeah. been off for a week. I showed up and they were, okay, so we're going to go from this moment to this moment. This is a Gibson, as they all called me in rehearsals. We're going to do, we're going to do, you'll be back and put the rest of the ensemble in. And we had a tea break. We came back and Tommy came over to me and went, so uh, I brought Star Wars to you. And I went, what? like literally didn't know what he was talking yeah. about. And he, and he sort of did that and pointed it over and JJ Abrams was sat in rehearsals. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like two meters away from like, imagine a rehearsal, yeah. a big rehearsal room with like a mirror. Horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. It was terribly exciting, but it was, but it was scary as fuck. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, of course he's, 
he's a very successful guy and, and obviously is a big fan of the show and good friends with the team. And he sat there with the biggest smile on his, on his face. Yeah. And in a way, it was kind of a baptism of fire for me because I was like, well, shit, there's going to be some pretty important people watching this show at some point. So yeah. most nights it turned out. So I thought, well, I may as well just get on with it and use him as an audience member to scream my angry yeah. moment at. So I did and I made him laugh and... Yeah, and yeah, great. it was it was so that was kind of what it was like for me to sort of show up to go from kind of being at home and yeah, reading to my daughter at night and putting her to bed to showing up in rehearsals and people like that being in rehearsals. It was an exciting year. That's amazing. And the big reason that I've been stalking you for 10 years uh, or more is because uh, many years ago, my dad got us tickets to see a show called Our House, which was uh, the Madness musical. Yeah, and we were going on like Boxing Day. And I said, that sounds shit. No, thanks. I was really annoyed. I was That's like, oh, what I said fucking- when I got the audition. I thought, that sounds shit. <laughs> I was like, what a waste of fucking money and all that. And we went, and I've never cried so much in my... I love that show with all my heart. It's so fucking brilliant. And every Christmas I watch it. On, I watch My Big Christmas Carol... Scrooge and our house. Really? That, well, that's that's sweet. my Christmas. <laughs> and you in our house are fucking incredible. And for those of you who haven't seen it, which unfortunately is quite a lot of people, whenever I bring it up and it annoys me because I'm like, it's the best show that ever happened. It was a, it was a very, it was sort of before its time, really, in a way. It was before, yeah. it was before, I think if social media had been around in 2002, yeah. there might have been this kind of cult. You know how, have you heard about Six, the musical Six? That's, yes, that's, the... Which, the Henry VIII, yeah, yeah which, which is fantastic, by the way. I mean, it's a yeah. great night out. I take I take my daughter. We've I've seen it twice. I saw it on tour as well. My daughter, who is now seven, but we saw it when she was six, so that was quite good fun to take her because she was six. Um, mm. And is and is obsessed with with anything to do with Tudor history, weirdly, because of horrible right. because of horrible histories. And um, yeah, six has got this incredible following on online because of because yeah. of things like TikTok and and Instagram and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's all these hundreds of thousands of girls and boys, but a lot of young girls who are seeing the videos of these girls doing the numbers and the dances backstage and fucking about and going, I want to go and see that show. So that's okay. why it's sold. And it's, it's got this incredible advance on, well, unfortunately it's not on at the moment because of the, because of the situation, but, yeah. but the advance on Broadway was huge, apparently millions wow. of dollars, which is amazing. And I, and I genuinely think that our house sort of, they didn't get the marketing right for it. They didn't, it was a madness musical, but it was a musical. So the madness fans didn't want to see a musical, and the musical theatre fans didn't want to see a show about madness. Yeah. And as you know, you saw it, and it wasn't that at all. It was a special it's thing. The, but it's one of the. I, I just. I, I'm always because what I expected. Yeah, I expected it to be like a shit sort of jukebox musical. <clears throat> yeah. But it's one of the best stories I've ever seen on stage. I know. It's such an amazing story, and you, and it's basically sliding doors done brilliantly basically yeah it was i mean tim firth who wrote it who's yeah who's <clears throat> excuse me who's um who wrote things like calendar girls and the the movie of kinky boots and you know he's a clever british yeah. writer comedy writer written lots of lots for the stage as well he wrote this fantastic he just basically took all the his favorite madness songs and wrote this story mm. from scratch about this kid in north london in camden who who had to make a choice and do I take the good path or the bad path? Do I fuck my life up or do I do something good with my life? And you follow this journey of this kid called Joe, who's 16 on his 16th birthday, and he's trying to impress his girlfriend and fucks up, basically. Yeah. Well, in one story, he fucks up. And in the other story, he, he you think he fucks up, but he doesn't. And it all kind of, the whole story kind of follows a, a loop. And it 
So I was, and it's such yeah. a, it's got a lot of. Uh, I, I ended up uh, <clears throat> when um, this is what I talked to you about is that when uh, I wrote the Catherine Tate show yeah. live with Catherine Tate, we yeah. all we talked about was we want it to feel like our house. We want <laughs> some of the magic of that, which is why we got Paul Kiev, who did yeah, yeah, who the was magic in our house, incredible so you, illusionist, yeah. So you played two Joe Casey's, mm-hmm. and sometimes it appeared on stage at the same time, and you'd yeah. have quick changes in. Yeah. Half a second where you'd swap complete outfits and demeanors, and it's an incredible performance. It was, it was almost like the because because the creative team that you know I I attribute the creative team of Hamilton as being this incredible collaboration mm. that you know I genuinely think that without that creative without one piece of that creative team I I wonder if Hamilton would work as well as it does, and mm. I think that the reason why our house works so well is because it's exactly the same creative team as Matilda. Um, is it right? Yeah, yes, exactly. It and it was um, apart from the fact that the Royal Shakespeare Company weren't involved in our house. Um, right. It's the same creative team, the same costume design, same designer um, Rob Howell, the same choreographer Peter Darling, same illusionist yeah. Paul Kier, um same director, of course Matthew Waters, who now runs yeah. the, um, the the who did the, Pride, which everyone <coughs> brings up on this podcast. Yeah, quite which rightly. is which is. I mean, Matthew is again is one of the smartest guys that I know and a lovely guy to yeah. work with. Michael, I've forgotten to tell you something. Go for it. Oh, fuck. It's really bad. It's really bad that I haven't told you this. I should have told you it. Uh, maybe I should have texted you beforehand. Uh, fuck it. I'll just I'll just say it. Oh, I don't know how you're going to take this, but um, I'll say it. You've died. You, you're, you're dead. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, how did you die? I think I'd like it to be quite quick. Yeah. <laughs> Up to you. I think... There's a selfish version of it, which the selfish version of it, which is that I want it to happen quite quick, mm-hmm. and I just want to suddenly be on the other side and see what's going on. Um, I think, you know, that thing when you see people sort of fall off a fall off a building or something, that's not quick because you see it. Coming. Yeah, that's a good I don't, few seconds. I want it to just happen. I want it to like, a bit like Joe Black, if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah, but he gets hit by twelve cars repeatedly yeah but like, that it's was quite a long prolonged it's got to be fucking instant though, right <laughs> well I, I, it, it's not clear at which point he is dead but his body is being quite ridiculously bashed about yeah when you i need to rewatch i need to rewatch it but it is i think i think it's quick in the sense that the audience go fuck <laughs> yeah they go fuck and then they and then it's another 25 seconds of him getting hit yeah. by different yeah. cars yeah yeah <laughs> you you'd like to get hit by a big truck is that it? Out I, of nowhere. Big I think truck. so. I think so. Or beheading, because <laughs> that must be yeah, quite... Yeah, you beheading. But not, knowing, miss, but, but not, not knowing, knowing it's, it's coming. But not knowing it's coming. I think that's what I'm trying to say, is that not right. knowing it's coming and boom, it's done, and I'm dead. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so you're walking along, someone comes up behind you with a samurai sword, chops your head off, but you didn't see him or hear him. Yeah, yeah? I think okay. so, yeah. I think, And I think the reason, the psychology behind that is the fact that I think thinking about shit is what makes us worry. And I'd be well, re- if I knew. Do it was you cool, worry about death? I used to because it suddenly dawned on me one day that it was going to fucking happen. You know that kind of uh, mortality, the the realization that we are not immortal. Mm. And I think it happened when when I was when I was about nineteen. I was at college and I was going through some personal shit, and somebody had died in my family, and I was quite. Sorry. Well, I was I was very depressed about it. I mean, I went through quite mm. a blue period in my life, in and and sort of anxiety and all that sort of stuff hit me for the first time. And I, 
And it was at that point that I, I became, if I, in hindsight, if I look back at it, I was worrying about my own death, which I think comes from a place of needing to be in control. I, for yeah. the first time, I'd realised that I wasn't in control of, of whatever it is that fucking put us here. I suppose I've done a lot of thinking about it and talking about it. I mean, I talk to somebody when I, when I have the time to do it professionally for lots mm. of different reasons. And, and I think, you know, understanding that I have no control about it makes me feel a lot better about it. That's why I kind of just want it to happen. When it, if it's going to happen when I leave this room, then it's going to happen. But I want it to happen quick so I don't need to think about it. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? So you've stopped worrying about it. You've sort of... Yeah, yeah. Because And I, and I think what's interesting now is I'm a dad and I've got a seven-year-old and wow. sort of, yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago now, she, she started asking questions about dying. But it wasn't in the same way that I was asking questions about it when I was when I was 19 because that was mm. like, that was like, it was killing, it, was, it wasn't killing me, but it was really affecting me. How Whereas, do you explain it to a five-year-old? What did you say, if I may ask? I think I think a lot of me tries to kind of change the subject. <laughs> okay. um, um, I, but I think at the same time, you, you do go down the road of sort of explaining to them that people sometimes aren't here and that, but they are here, which I think is where we're all a bit fucked up with this whole, because I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist, I suppose. And, right. you know, I, I genuinely believe that when it all happens, that we're, 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 we're cells and water and it all just, stops you working no afterlife yeah death. and i think and i think you know i think the spiritual side of me is there to sort of help other people if that makes sense so with my daughter it's like yeah well they're up there somewhere well what's up there well it's just up there isn't it i mean i don't know really because nobody does in my opinion right. unless unless you go to church and there's a fucking picture on a wall that tells you what it's going to look like then yeah. how else are you going to know you know so yeah so i suppose that's what i say to my daughter is it's just it it will be all right. I mean, that's all you can do for a kid, isn't it? Is is reassure yeah. them and make them feel safe and just it's going to be fine, I suppose. So yeah. and then and then look at your wife and go. <laughs> and now you, now you go and have a word with her because I've fucking <laughs> run out of shit to say. <laughs> I'm paddling really fast here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so interesting. I wonder about that. Um, well, good news. There is an afterlife. Surprise. Okay. And there's a heaven. It's great. It's got everything you like in it. Okay. But in this place, they're obsessed with films. Mm -hmm. You know, don't judge them for it. And what they want to do is talk about your life through film. And the of first course. thing they ask you, of course they do. I mean, you, you've read the Bible. <laughs> it's all in there. And the first thing they ask you is, what is the first film that you remember seeing, Michael Gibson? The first film that I remember seeing was Lady and the Tramp. Very nice start. Um, I went to see it. And I, the reason why I remember seeing it was because I saw it at the cinema. I think, it, and I, I'm right in saying that it was the first film that I ever saw at the cinema. My mum and my dad took me. This was like pre, I think it was before my brother was born. Or maybe he was a baby. It was in Hull, where I'm from. And I remember, okay. I vaguely remember going to this particular cinema, which is now something else. You know, when these old cinemas are knocked down and it's it's all turned mm. into a shopping precinct. So I remember the the... I remember the the feeling of being in that space, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I remember seeing it. I fell asleep, and I remember that probably because I, I think, you know, when a memory of a memory becomes prevalent, and I think because my family were always like, "Oh, that's when you fell asleep." So that's what I remember right. them telling me that. And I and I sort of remember seeing the film and never really watching it properly again right. because 
it was always that film that was the first film that I ever saw until recently because they, they Disney have started doing all these new live action remakes yeah. and w- we just got Disney Plus. I'm sure many people have recently just paid the 50 quid and just got on with it. Yeah. And it's it's been great because I've got a seven-year-old and one of the first things, I think it was like literally the first thing we put on was the live-action Lady and the Tramp. How and is it? It's sweet. I mean, I think they're doing a really good job, Disney, of sort of reinvigorating these, these old classics that mm. some of them I think are good. Some of them are incredible. Um, like, for example, Aladdin, I thought it was going to be shit and I really enjoyed it. Because I go and see all these films because I've got a seven-year-old, so it's, yeah. like, it's a it's an afternoon to kill. Um, yeah, Lady and the Tramp was really sweet. I mean, they kind of did that thing where they had real animals talking, which is always a bit weird, but they do it yeah. quite well, and it was good. It was good. It was good fun. My daughter loved it, and that's all that matters, really, when when it's stuff like <laughs> that's that. That's nice. I like you saying a memory of a memory. That's yeah. That's what you mean. So, so it's not... You don't actually remember much about the thing. You more remember being told. Yeah, the I don't. Story, yeah, is... I don't remember sitting looking at a screen. But I, what I yeah. remember is being in a dark cinema. Suppose it was a. Th- I remember being like in a, a row of seats. You know, if you were laid down on a row of seats in a cinema or a theatre, and you can see all the seats. And I remember sort of waking up. So I remember that's that's my memory of it. If I think about it, is waking <laughs> yeah. up and them going, "Come on, you've been asleep. Let's go." <laughs> And I must have been—I must have been two or three, you know, like tiny, uh, uh, a, yeah. a little boy. Come on, they're both dead. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. What is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? No. Okay. <laughs> no, and I kind of have to sort of section it into like I saw—I saw it recently. I haven't seen right. it too, but I saw it, and I kind of reprogrammed my brain to kind of this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy this. And nice. I, but there have been films. So I'll rewind back to not a film, but do you remember Ghostwatch? I remember Ghostwatch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I. A seminal moment in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Mine. Yeah. And it scared the living crap out yeah. of me when I was about, I must have been about 13, 12, 13, mm-hmm. to the point where I couldn't sleep for fucking weeks. And I think it wasn't that it scared me. It was, again, it was a bit like the kind of realising of my, my mortality. It switched something on in me, this kind yeah. of paranoia. And, and, and I only watched the first fucking five minutes of it because it scared me that much. <laughs> I had to switch it off. And, and I think what scared me was this. And it, there is a point to the film that, that attaches to this. Mm-hmm. There was a... There, so in, in Ghostwatch, they, it was this fake, it turns out, which it I've, was very ahead of its time, guys. Towards yeah, it was a kind yeah. of joke, wasn't it? But it wasn't because it, it it was set up like it was a proper documentary, like bit like Spring Watch. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But ghost, but looking for ghosts, and it had Michael Parkinson in yeah, it. Yeah, it was Craig Charles. It was high end, knew. high end. Yeah. It was prime time BBC Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mum was at work. Me and my brother were at home. My stepdad was out. And it came on, and we were and we were all set to watch it because it had been trailed as this kind of event, and yeah. we were like, yeah, we'll watch this. And I was like, well, nothing really scares me, so I watch it. And it was this fucking house where this where the, this television crew had rocked up. And here we are outside the most haunted house in Britain, and they explained what this what this ghost was that was haunting this house. He was called Pipes, and they called him yeah, Pipes because nice. he used to bang on the pipes apparently, and it used to haunt the, this family of two two mother and father and two young girls who were like mine and my brother's age and they literally went and here we have the proof that this that this um 
ghost exists. And they showed this old, you know, this is back in the day when people didn't have iPhones and it was like they'd yeah. set up a video camera, like a VHS video camera in the corner of the room. And they showed this clip of these two ki- these two girls in bed in this shared bedroom. And suddenly shit started knocking and they had like an infrared light. S- stuff started getting knocked around the room, like poltergeisty. And I remember watching it thinking, well, this is shit. And then what they did was, and the girls were screaming and doing all this, but then what they did was they rewound it and they showed like, they went, if we zoom in, you can see there's somebody standing in the corner of the room. <laughs> and it was like this man was just standing yeah. there. And that freaked the fuck out of me. I don't know why, but it just scared me. I know why, because there's a fucking man standing in the well, yeah, dark. Yeah, in the probably. In the probably. So, long story short, that scared the mm. shit out of me. I couldn't yeah, sleep for pretty. weeks, and I became very scared of being in rooms on my own, like, very paranoid. And then, when I was at college, I remember I went to see The Sixth Sense, which is, a, which is about, it's a brilliant film, which is about a kid that can see fucking dead people. And I was so scared by it. And this was at the time when I was going through this kind of revelation of like being alive and dead. Yeah. At the it was it was around that time. I a couple of months after I'd have uh, sort of a bit of a wobble. I was so scared by it, and I wasn't expecting to be scared by it. I had to go and see it again, like in the cinema with my then girlfriend, to sort of experience it again and see it for what it was as a film. Right. Right. Because Did it I was. Work? Yeah, it did. It sort of put it into perspective. I was like, right, okay, well, that's an actor. That's a fucking yeah. This is all cool. I'm good. I'm not that scared. And it was, and it was, it was, it was a bit of therapy, really, to sort of go through it. So yeah. that really scared me. And it, but even to this day, like if if a ghosty thing comes, ah, I don't want to watch that. I'll, I'll pass it. And I feel like I need to sort of just go and watch that Damn kind it. of shit again because I, even though I'm an atheist and all this kind of thing, it's it's something in me that's just like. I was told too many scary fucking stories about ghosts, I think, when I was a kid. There was a ghost story about a about some grey lady that was on some playing field that we used to, there was some bunker at the end of the field that was like somebody used to say they used to the kids would go in there in this old it was like an old bunker and yeah. you'd go in there and there'd be some woman and she was headless and all this kind of stuff and that <sighs> used to freak me. and we all used to dare each other to go inside it at night and it was very people would come out screaming and Fuck you wanted was there. to be beheaded. Yeah, so it was all that kind of stuff. Oh my god, I love it, I love it. What is the film that made you cry the most? Are you a crier? <sighs> yeah, it depends what it is. I think it sounds cliched, but it's it's ET. Jesus, it gets of me. It's ET. End of ET. That final moment. I mean, it's the I don't know. It's the it's the age old story, isn't it, of a broken family, and. And the, you know, the... The age-old story of the visiting alien. <laughs> yeah, but it's the Can same. We... But it, it is, but it's the same. Mary Poppins, it's the same fucking story. Yeah. And and weirdly, you know, you know me, me and my musical theatre references, but when I... My wife was Mary Poppins in Mary Poppins, the show. No shit. Yeah, she did it in... in, in not in London, she did it on tour, and then she did it in America for years. So I saw it a lot. Wow. And I really... And that was really true to the book. That's a hell of a show. Yeah, rather than the film. And um, that was very... I mean, it, of course, it's always about the family in the film, but but it was really clear in the musical about the the broken family. And yeah. and at the end, when she flies out, it was like... It was like... E.T. So it was right. like E.T. And it was... And the family standing there and being reunited by this, by this otherworldly entity coming down to fix it for them. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, we all... We all want a solution in this life, 
to fix things for us. And mm. and I think you know if 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 anybody comes from a from a family that was broken or was never really there, I don't know. I think that's why you know even if it's just your your family isn't broken, but your dad works away or whatever it is, or your mum's yeah. been poorly or whatever it is. That notion that something can come and make it all all right can can touch can touch a nerve, you know. E.T. is Mary Poppins is the best take I've heard in a long time. Yeah, well, I think it's the same story. E.T. is Mary Poppins. Basically, I mean, she is, you know, he's not he's not a nanny, but he comes into this house yeah. and changes their life. And 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 um, they all think very differently. They all go. And I think and I think what's the thing where people talk about, you know, there are like four or five stories. That are yeah, like there's fake. either it depends who you ask. There's either five or seven stories. I think yeah. there's five. Yeah, and I think in film, E.T. Yeah. is one of them. Yeah, and Mary Poppins is, in, is the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it's it. pretty much the same. So, yeah, so that's, yeah. My, that's why it gets me. That's great. What is the film that people don't really like? Critics certainly don't like it. It is not well acclaimed. You love it. You don't care what anyone says. I really like Howard the Duck. Great answer. Love Howard the Duck. I think it's the epitome of that period of time of movies. Yeah. That were, you know, there were films coming out that were, they were, they were out and out B movies, but that's why they worked. You know, the VHS generation, the kind of blockbuster video where you went into this stinky fucking VHS store on a Friday and a Saturday night and you rented three films because you wanted a night in or an, or an afternoon in. And, there would always be the blockbusters, the kind of the big studio movies that would be there that everybody had, you had to sort of get first dibs on getting them. Uh, but then there were the kind of B movies that were, and Howard the Duck kind of is the epitome of, of that kind of a movie that just was escapism. And also the way that those, you know, Hollywood was moving into a different kind of era of movie making. And there was, you know, the big kind of juggernaut studios of the time that were around in the kind of golden era of 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 hollywood were 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 still there that you know Mm. the kind of paramounts and the 20th century foxes and all that but there were these other kind of breakaway slightly dodgy kind of movie making outfits like canon and that were making b movies that made films like that that occasionally would have a huge hit like Mm -hmm. masters of the universe or something like that that everybody wanted to see, but they, but you go back to these movies and they're shit. They're yeah. absolute dog shit in the way that they're cast, in the way that they're, you know, not always in the way that they're cast, but in, you know, there are some brilliant actors in there, but in the way that they, the production design and things like that. And Howard the Duck is kind of, it's about a fucking duck, <laughs> a plastic duck that, that comes down... You know, and has sex with Leia Thompson, right? There's like a sexy scene with. There's a sex with scene with a, with, a, and... with a duck. Yeah, and it was very formative for me, which is why I think I've got um, sexual hang-ups. Because <laughs> that is a really sexy... She's it was. very beautiful, and he, he's a duck. <laughs> it's yeah. Com- it's confusing. I know, I think that, I think, no, I, I know what you mean, and I think, but I think it, it gives, it gives a, young, a, young, a young man or, or young whoever the opportunity to think about what's, what's possible in terms of yeah. who you might end up with. And I think... <laughs> and whether you need... Whether it's better to be a duck yeah, to get but, Le- someone like Laird Thompson. Yeah, exactly. But I think... But the thing is with how the duck is that he's an outsider as well. And he's cool as fuck. Yeah. And I think that's that's cool. 
Um, I just remember the the eyes. He had these big eyes that moved, yeah. and there was all sorts of crazy How shit. How could she resist? Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of, and and I think it kind of it kind of um, carries a torch for those kind of that era of movies, that kind of B movie kind of yeah studio NAF studio movie of which you know th- films like Chucky, Child's yeah. Play, and those kind of. Now, you don't. Those films. There's a place for those films now, and they're not made anymore because, you know, I do think that there's a lot of truth in the fact that cinema is dying because of the because of the franchise hmm. generation thing that's happening. Basically, there's franchises, and then there's like independent movies that have got basically the only independent movies that win or get nominated for big awards now have all got all the fucking leads of the franchise movies in. Do you know what I mean? They win their Oscar. They mean. win. They win their Oscars in the in the independent films, it. and that so that they can then go. We have an Oscar-winning actor playing fucking this superhero or something. Yeah, which I think is a bit sad, really. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, what is the film that you used to love? You loved it a lot, but you've watched it recently, and you've gone, "Ah, oh, no, this doesn't hold up for me." Um, it's weird because I, I think the the movie that does come to mind, and I've just mentioned it. It's probably Masters of the Universe. Right. And I think the reason why I say that is because when I saw it when I was a kid, I was I was like a He-Man kid. Uh, that was yeah. my thing. And when I saw it again, I remember it being, it came up on, I think it came up on Netflix or something recently, you know, when these movies yeah. just pop up. Yeah. Like Gremlins will come on and you go, yeah, it's still fucking brilliant. And it's what a film. And I'd say to my daughter, or Labyrinth or something, and you go, watch this film. And she goes, my seven-year-old daughter, who's used to watching these incredible Pixar movies and stuff, or she's like, oh, this is boring, Dad. You know, whereas, yeah. whereas Master of the, of the Universe, I re-watched it, and it was so... I think it was right at the time, because it, it was it was touching, you know, the, the hearts of, of little boys and girls who were into what the thing was at the time, which was He-Man. Yeah. But then you look back at it, and you go, God, this is really bad. This is a really, it's a really bad movie. You know, Dolph, Lu- yeah. Dolph Lundgren or whatever his name is, being He Man, and he was shit. He was a <laughs> B, he was worth, you know, people joke about Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger or whatever his name is, but he yeah. was a B rate Schwarzenegger. And it was, so things like that, that's probably the film that sticks out in my head because that's the film that I was, I just remember being really disappointed re watching yeah. it and going, oh, fucking hell, this was really good when I first, I remember this really moving me, you know? Yeah. There's quite a lot of films that I sort of choose not to watch again in case of that where I have real love for them and I think I'm pretty... If I sort of think about them too hard, I think I'm pretty sure that's probably quite terrible now. It's going to spoil it for you, yeah. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Hello, my neighbour Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use MagicWrite, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with MagicWrite generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. 
Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name is Maureen. Yeah, thank you. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't want a few extra bucks in their pocket? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. What's the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film is any good, but because of the memory you associate with seeing that film that makes it special. Could have been a first date. Could have been... The day you got a job could have been anything like that where you always go, fuck, that was special, that film to me. I think, and again, it's I'm being really cliched now, but the, f- the film is The Goonies, which is a big favourite, I'm sure. Not yeah. just because it's The Goonies, because I know I can quote it. It was my film that I watched when I was a kid that I loved and I've rewatched it hundreds of times and I still rewatch it when I've mm-hmm. just got fuck all else to do. When I was a kid and my mum and dad split up, we we didn't have me and my mum and my brother and stuff when we we moved out and stuff and we 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 moved into a sort of smaller house. We didn't have the. I was Whenever. five okay. when this happened. We didn't have much. I mean, I don't think my dad had much either because of the divorce and all this kind of stuff mm. sort of messed things up. But um, I remember my mum hired a VHS player. We didn't have one, and she hired wow. one. And we went to the video shop and it was so exciting to go to the video shop. We're going to go and get a video out. And it was like, because other than that, you had four channels, you know, and I'm, I'm trying not to be preachy, but you know, obviously we didn't have fucking tablets and Xboxes and all that shit that kids have got now to drive them insane. And the, the notion of like getting off my bike and coming indoors and watching a film was so exciting together as a family. Um, we went to the to the video shop, which was a local independent. It wasn't Blockbuster, you know. That was an American thing that came over. Yeah. And we went to this video shop, and we and I remember picking whatever film it was. We I can't remember what the but my mum said you should watch this film, and it was and I must have been about seven, six or seven, maybe a bit older, and it and it looked quite scary. Because if you know the Goonies, yeah, the, the, the Goonies, yeah, the Goonies poster was quite was quite full on. It was it was the yeah. it was one of those classic eighties movies with them kind of all standing in a kind of pyramid, looking looking like they're in a big scary movie. And the, but there was this big fucking skull and crossbones in the yeah. middle of it, and that image to a kid is quite scary. And I I knew nothing about it, you know, because this is again before the days of YouTube and trailers and advertising and PR drops and all this kind of stuff. It was just, you went down the video shop and you, it was lucky dip. You just picked a film. If it looked good, you watched it. Yeah. And my, I think my mum had heard about it and said, and you know, so she said, you probably quite like this. And me and my brother argued with her about why we didn't want to watch it. That classic thing that kids do when they say, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. And then they watch it and they love it. Like we have with my daughter now. <laughs> and, um, and that's all to do with them trying to fucking control you, which is what we were doing. And, um, <laughs> 
little, little gits. And um, so my, we got this film and we watched it on our hired VHS player that we had for two weeks or something that was costing my mum money yeah. to have. And we must have watched that film twice a day. I like that a lot. For that two weeks. I think we even extended the the the, the rental of it because my mum was like, "This is I'm onto something here. They can this keeps them quiet," and it was just in. So the film itself became ingrained into my into my thing, into me, yeah. who I am, and the the quotes and the characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, but I think it's the nostalgia of remembering the excuse me the situation in which that film came about to the point where a friend of mine posted something on Twitter the other day about, about um, Josh Gad has do, is doing this lockdown kind of reunion thing. And his mm-hmm. first thing was he got a zoom conference call like this, but with the cast of the Goonies and it's wow. on YouTube and it's on YouTube and it's, it's, it's lovely. And he, he literally gets everybody back. Spielberg right. shows up. The, the director right. shows up, the cast show up. They all talk briefly about, and it's edited to fuck, but they're, yeah. but they're all there. You know, Corey Feldman's there, and they're all just took, they all look older and different. And the guy who plays Chunk is now a is now a is now a lawyer in Hollywood, and you yeah. know they're all just normal people. And and I suppose just even watching that just took me back to that time. So that's that's why. That is lovely. You can have that. Cool. Um, what is the film you most relate to? There's a few, but I think I love. Uh, again, it goes back to my childhood, and this is probably me being a bit older. I watched this when I was older, and I and I and every time I watch it, I find something new in it. Is is probably Stand by Me. I mean, Steve. every everything you've said is a classic. Yeah, Stand by Me is perfect. It's perfect a, it's a beautiful film, and I feel like I feel like it's it's that film that until only recently everybody knew about it, and I feel like there are teenagers out there who haven't seen it mm. because it's because it's an old one now, and I feel yeah. like it just. And and I think people forget. Who are you in in Stand by Me, or are you all of them? I think I'm all of them. I think definitely I'm all of them. You know, because they're all so they're all different, but they're all the same, and that's why they're all mates. And I think they're all going through their own personal shit in different ways. And this and this experience obviously brings them together in that summer that they have, and the the, the shit that's going on around them with with their parents and their families and the and the and the bad guys, the older brothers and the gangs and the, again, the realization of their mortality, you know, the mm. fact that they, it's, it starts out as a bit of fun. Yeah. This will be cool. We're going, we're going to find this dead body and they, they come across this dead body and it fucking hits them and the journey they go on and then they've got to go back. And I think that's so beautiful <coughs> at the end of the film when they talk about the journey home and they don't, you don't really see that played out. Yeah. They just talk about that it you know because obviously it's I think it's um Richard Dreyfus is is narrating it That's as right, as yeah. as his younger self and he kind of just in a few words says you know the walk home was a long one through the night but we didn't really talk. And that's yeah. kind of all it needs to be. And I think it's fascinating that Stephen King wrote that. Mm. And what an incredible writer he is to to Have him. to not only write shit that scares people but shit that you know of course makes people think but that people can relate to um, yeah. without being supernatural. And um, um, yeah, and I, yeah. I think it's a bit like uh, Sex in the City in that they're all, uh, if Sex in the City is everyone is everyone, as in they're all a, a type of, they're all a piece of someone. Yeah. And if you put them all together, yeah. Yeah, stand yeah, by absolutely. Me is, is you, all of you. Yeah, you just find your, you find your person, you know, that you're, that you, 
that you relate to. I mean, simple as that. I mean, also, I haven't said this on the podcast for a while, so I'm going to say it again. I, I mean, I, I sort of want to start a campaign for this. When people talk about the great directors of all time, they don't talk about Rob Reiner, which is fucking insane. I know. Because Rob Reiner has made five pure, flawless masterpieces. Yep. Misery, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, Spinal Tap, When Harry Met Sally. Get the fuck out of here. I know. Put him in a museum. I know. And I, and I think, and he, why isn't he, you know. Because they're all different. Because they because all the the people that we love really interesting auteurs, yeah. they they seem to play on the same theme, you know, and I and I like those filmmakers as well. Yeah, but it seems like if you've got range and you try different genres and you do different things, people it's don't interesting, notice isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I I never realised that like the, the the kind of the the six not successful but the kind of well known successful directors mm. of that period you know the, yeah. the the francis ford coppola spielberg scorsese they were all kind of peers i never realized yeah. that that they went through the same system together and they all kind of were quite clear about what they want like spielberg wanted to change entertainment yeah. that we know today and and you know francis ford coppola wanted to make the movies that he went on to make and and yeah. george lucas wanted to make fantasy, you know, there was this kind of thing going on. And I suppose that's quite interesting, isn't it? That Rob Reiner, I think, I think the one thing that he, but I think the one thing that he did do that is, is a common theme throughout his, Mm. his, his films. If you want to sort of split the genres up is that he's fucking brilliant with his actors. Yeah. And I think to the point where, you know, he's got incredible movie stars, but then he's also got these unknown raw talent kids that he was yeah. able to make you believe, and not just cast them brilliantly, but ma- get these incredible performances out of them, you know. And, I, and of course, I've gone back and watched the making of, and I mean, I was watching that stuff when, of Stand by Me when I was a kid. Like, how do I do this? What how what how do I access what I do as an actor? And there was this the scene where where the fantastic scene where they get chased by the train on the bridge, yeah, because of the comb that falls down and fucking train and it's like fuck and the and the the the, i can't remember his name now the actor the kid that plays the fat kid who's now turned into like a hunk who was in screen that kid oh who is that i can't remember his name now not matt not matthew lillard no he he basically reformed himself into this kind of leading man and he was this kind of fat kid when he was younger and but brilliant as well and he is genuinely bawling his fucking eyes out screaming crying running away from this train Jerry and, O'Connell, that's, it. that's the guy thank you yeah and um i watched the scene i watched the build-up to that scene on this making of and rob reiner got him really upset really like really wound him up made him feel like shit like was really like and worked up to it for a couple of days apparently like really made him feel like he wasn't good enough and really got him stressed out so that on the day, all he had to do was say something that pushed his button and it upset him. And then they called, they rolled the camera. And then when he got the shot, I think they yeah. did it in one. He was, he, he was so pleased with him. And, and, and it was, it was, it was almost a bit like a kind of, um, Oh God, I've forgotten his name now. The guy that did Kez, I've forgotten his fucking name. Ken um, Loach. Ch- Ken Loach. Of course. Yeah. It was like a Loach kind of thing where he surprises mm. people, you know, and yeah. uh, th- those kind of Loach stories that we all hear of, you know, I'm, I'm quite good mates with Martin Compton and he told me this incredible story about when he did Sweet 16 and there was the scene where he had to murder somebody and, well, supposedly thought he was going into this 
cubicle to his character was going into this cubicle to knife somebody as yeah. part of his initiation into this gang in 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 the area of glasgow where it was and they rehearsed it and they worked out a fight how they were going to stab this kid and all this kind of thing and then on the day when they shot it i think they did a rehearsal with the camera on and everything then they shot it and of course in the film he doesn't stab him he it's a it's it's part of the initiation that he had to yeah. as if he was going to do it and they all jump out of the cubicle and martin had no idea that they were going to jump out of the cubicle so that when mm. they shot it they got this genuine reaction from him of like wow. oh my god and there were lots of things that happened like that in that film and other films that loach did but that sounds very similar to what he does in yeah. stand by me with with these this poor kid <laughs> how do you feel about that as an actor would would you be upset if a director instead of just sort of asking you to do something tricked you into it you know what i mean manipulated you i don't know i mean i i i'm i'm not a method actor i sort of try and access stuff i suppose in my head when i'm when i'm trying to be whatever it is in the moment or whatever but i don't know i think i think i'd like to know that there's a process but then you know what the process is so you're at least aware of it. But but I think yeah. the thing is with acting is committing. You've got to commit to it. You've got to go with it. Yeah. And I suppose if at least if you know that... I think it's a bit unfair to say that for somebody to just not let you know that there's... Listen, there's this process. You might... If, yeah. if something happens, don't go, hang on, what the fuck's happening? Stop, because that ruins the shot yeah. or whatever. But I think that would be weird. But I think... These are just, they're just very clever directors and I'm sure that they cover all their bases when they do all this and that's why they, you know, they yeah. get all these incredible performances out of these amazing actors who are open enough to be able to go with it. So that's yeah. my thoughts on that. Uh, what is, oh, it's a shame that this one comes next, but here we are. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen? The sexiest film, okay, the sexiest film I've ever seen where I felt, not where I felt sexy, but I thought, fucking hell, this is full on. And and I'll tell you quite a funny story. <laughs> was um, oh god, what's the name of the the film that I've forgotten? That I'm being such a blank person. It's the film that Halle Berry's in that she won the Oscar for. Oh my monsters, god, monsters, monsters, ball. monsters ball. Yeah, good shout. That <laughs> that scene where she, her and Billy scene. Bob Thornton get it on is so where they, where they go at it. Well, they, they and, really and, and it's the, it. yeah, they go at it. And it's the way that the camera just goes, no, well, the director's choice is that, no, we're going to make you watch this. We're going to yeah. make you watch a cut of how this, how this, how this scene played out. And I mean, yeah. apart from anything, you know, I'm in it because I believe in the, ca I, I mean, I think she's yeah. incredible in it and, and he was incredible. And, and I think it's an incredible film, you know, with Heath Ledger's in it as a supporting mm -hmm. and you know it's just a, p diddy it's just a p diddy <laughs> it's just an incredible film about people and trying to cope and how and a love story ultimately mm. it's a love story yeah um and that scene where these two people that are from very very different backgrounds come together and end up fucking and they need it they both need each other mm. and it comes from a place of lust and it's so psychologically driven yeah. And then, and then removing myself from the actual what happens in the story, and going, how the fuck did they do this? I don't know. As actors, how do you do that? Don't know. How they I mean, that one. you know, and and you start asking all these questions about where was it all stored yeah. away, and and did it happen, and all this yeah. kind of thing, and 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 then the funny side of that story is that when I watched that film, I had no idea that was about to happen. And I was, it was when I was doing, funny enough, it was when I was doing Our House. Yay. And I wasn't very well. 
And I, I struggled a bit when I was doing our house. It was, it, as you know, it was a very big role and I was it's up and down. Yeah, yeah, it was, I was exhausted. And I mean, if you look at every, I'm just sidetracking now, but if you look at every other fucking show that's on in London, Hamilton has a alternate. Dear Evan mm-hmm. Hansen, the kid's got three understudies and, and he doesn't do matinees on a Wednesday and all that kind of stuff. Right. I had to do eight shows a week. Oh, really? And then eventually they went, right, okay, you're fucked. We're going to give you a matinee <laughs> off. So I used to miss I used to miss the Friday matinee. That was the other thing. We used to do two on a Friday and two on a Saturday. Oh and it was, like, it, was like, it was like five shows in three days. And it just used, I couldn't physically yeah. and mentally, I was 21 and I was just exhausted physically, mentally. I was getting really poorly and like nervous mm. exhaustion, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so the, it, it was a few months into the run and I was off the show. Like I'd been off for about a good week with like all sorts of, right. I was exhausted. I had like g- gastric flu and everything just hit me at once. And my mum, right. my mum had had to come down to look after me. Right. She was like, I'm coming down and I'm going to cook you dinners and you're going to stay on the couch and I'm going to tell them that you're not going into work. So that's my mum stepped in which was lovely right. of her and we watched this film called the monster's ball because it was because it <laughs> Did was you think it was monsters inc <laughs> i think i well yeah i think in all seriousness we watched it because it was the film that had won all the fucking oscars and we thought oh, we'll yeah. watch this and i had no idea that halle berry like <laughs> did what she'd got that naked in it mm. and um so <laughs> this this scene plays out out of nowhere where they're a bit pissed and they're on a couch and she's drunk as hell and just starts eating him and he's all embarrassed (laughs) oh my god what is this this incredibly beautiful what these are the characters this incredible beautiful incredibly beautiful woman is 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 eating my face yeah and starts doing what she does to him and needing him to do it to her Mm. and i'm sort of processing this whilst i'm sat on my couch laid out not feeling very well my mom sat next to me on the chair and we sat in silence and watched this scene and i'm watching this scene with my mother on my own and i think and me and my mum we're good mates and we're quite open and i mean when it finished i think we both looked in each other and i think i went fucking hell that's not the sort of scene you want to watch with your mother is it and she just went oh my god that's great and we were both sort of mutually quite embarrassed but admitting to the fact that fucking hell that was weird that's so that great. that was that was my story that goes along with watching probably the sexiest scene I've ever seen in a film. Which that's kind of... very sweet. Um, there is a subcategory to this question: uh, troubling boners, worrying why dons, uh, which is the film you found arousing that you thought perhaps maybe you shouldn't. E.G. Howard the Duck. Huh. You know, have you seen Gremlins too? I fucking love Gremlins too. Are you talking about Lady Gremlin? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Lady <laughs> <laughs> Fucking right. When she shows Lady up, Gremlin's hot. She's going, mm-hmm, yeah. like that. I don't kissy, know. Kissy, kissy Lady Gremlin. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. Mm. It's that whole thing of like, it, it takes me immediately back to when I was a kid <laughs> and we used to play Street Fighter or these weird mm. games on like the Master System, Sega Master System or the SNES or whatever it was and these beat-em-up games and there were these beautiful yeah. women. You know, when, when these games where men just used to walk down the street with nunchuckers and chop people's heads off and shit like that, which is just yeah. violence. But then they'd have these beautiful women that would fight with mm. them who were like basically dressed like hookers. And me and my mates used to, when we were like 10, 11, used to discuss who was the most attractive. And it most- takes me back to that. Right. And I think that's what that film did. Yeah. Um, that's a fucking great shout. I love Gremlins too. 
Yeah, it's it brilliant. was a weird moment and very, and I think it's brilliantly done because the film is so fucking brilliant and so fucking mm. stupid yeah. and br- Gremlins is so good. And then Gremlins 2 just takes it so much further. And every time a new Gremlin shows up, you're like, what the fuck? You know, there's a spider Gremlin and a this Gremlin and, that, and then this fucking drag queen Gremlin shows up. That's actually a female Gremlin that looks like a drag, but it's got these in a bikini with boobs. Mm. And it's just when you're a kid watching that, it be, it really fucking confuses you. Mm. I might write some fan fiction about Howard the Duck and the Lady Gremlin getting it on. Oh yeah, have you? I've got to say it because someone will tweet in about it. If you have, have you seen the Key and Peele sketch about Gremlins Two? Because if no, you haven't, no. Right, when we finish this interview, you have to go on YouTube and put Key and Peele Gremlins Two. Okay, and it will make. Don't you think very I happy. have. It will make you very happy. It's about the writing of Gremlins Two. Okay, um, Michael Gibson. What is yeah. objectively the greatest film of all time? The one yeah. that I can't fault. That I always go back to. And I'm always just like, I just have a great time watching it. I'm never bored of watching it. I think I think it has to be Shawshank. I mean, a lot of people would agree with you. And it's sad, and I'm that. very, I'm, 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 I'm a bit, you know, it's, I'm a bit of a cliched, but you know, it is a fucking great film. It's a great film. It's got everything. It's your second Stephen King as well. I know, and I, and I, and I, and I also Nothing quite like wrong with that. And I love the fact that I. It's surprise, you know. It's everybody knows the story about it that it was a huge mm-hmm. flop at the movies, and then it was this VHS yeah. hit. And I think it it must have given people, you know, outside of what the film is for a second. I think it must have given people who make films ideas about the way films can be watched and consumed, and must mm-hmm. have planted seeds for things like video on demand and paved the way for the way that we consume media now because it it defied it defied the convention of the way that blockbuster movies were making money at the time yeah because everybody's it's also yeah yeah it's also genuinely like all jokes aside the lesson learned from that is be careful of your title yeah because the big argument for why people didn't see it is because no one could understand the title or no it no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Whereas it's easier to pick up a box and take it to a counter and go, I'll have, that looks good. But people can't order tickets for sh- sh- shank, sh- So now that's <laughs> why most shanks. films are just, <laughs> that's yeah. why most films are now called John or The Spaceship. Yeah. So that people can. Exactly. No, exactly. And I think, I think it's, um, I'm sure it made everybody think about every, every aspect of how to make films. But at the same time, it's just a fucking brilliant character-driven yeah. story. With with I mean, they were at the time were they were they stars? I mean, they were they were actors. They were well known, uh, but they weren't stars, were they? Maybe Tim Robbins was. He'd done like Bull Durham and stuff. I don't know, but yeah, not massive stars. No, okay. not box office. You know, you wouldn't flock yeah. to the cinema to sit because he was it, and obviously people yeah. didn't. Um, and I mean, Morgan Freeman. I mean. It was the first time I'd ever really become aware of who he was. I think mm. probably because of my age at the time. But I just remember being riveted by it. Yeah. And even now, if it's on, like on a Thursday night on some random channel and it's halfway through, I'm happy. I will pick it up. That's a fucking great film. Uh, what is the film that you can or have watched the most over and over again? You might have already mentioned it. I don't know. It must be the Goonies. 
It must be. The Goonies or Stand By Me. I mean, Stand By Me, I tend to sort of watch and I want to sit and watch it, whereas The Goonies is the thing that I can just, I can just dip in and out and watch bits of it. And yeah, it must be, it must be The Goonies. It must be The Goonies. I mean, I've watched it hundreds of times. I could, I could quote it. I could finish, I could finish lines. That's nice. What, okay. What is, we couldn't, we don't like being negative, so we do it pretty quick. Mm. What's the worst film you ever saw? I remember going to see a film of Great Expectations years ago, and I can't even remember who was in it. You're talking like in the late nineties, and I you left. You mean the one with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and yeah, in that one, that one. I like it. I Do like you? that film. Do you? It's a very sexy film. I, well, the reason why I said it was the worst is because it's the one that yeah. I remember. Le- it's the only time I've ever left. Right. Well, it's the only I time I've ever left, and I think it might have had something to do with the fact that I was. On a date, I can't remember, but that was probably that's the worst experience I remember in the cinema. <laughs> there are other films. There are other films that I've watched, and they've just. If I feel stupid and I get confused, that's when I don't like the film. Right. I don't like feeling stupid. I find I find a lot of art house films too clever for their own good, and I and not not because they're not clever, not because yeah. they aren't good. It's because I feel stupid. Yeah. I think that's. I fully get that. The films that have made me feel stupid are very odd ones, like the uh, Spike Lee uh, bank heist film, Inside Man. Yeah, right. I didn't understand it. It got to the end and I was like, what? <laughs> what? What went on? Who was Yeah. What? But then, you know, that's okay. We're both, you know. Yeah. What is, uh, what's the film that made you laugh the most? I really like Christopher Guest. Correct. I think he's a very, very smart man and paved yes. and is and is responsible for I'd say fifty percent of the comedy that is happening today. His style. He he was, you know, that kind of naturalistic, slightly kind of passive aggressive sort of way that people act now. Yeah. Well, you know, the way that people sort of go, I'm really angry with you. And it's like I'm doing a really bad impression of it, but it's that kind of it's, it's a that really kind good of, observation. It's that thing that well, it's that thing that Ricky Gervais does in the office yeah. that they that we felt like we'd never seen it before. And it's like, well, yeah, we have because he's been doing it for years. Rest for guest, <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff. And yeah. the one that we love in our house that really we put on and it makes us piss is Waiting for Guffman. Lovely. Which is which is a the amateur dramatic one. Amdram. It's the mm-hmm. Amdram, and I think that probably because we get it, we understand. Me and my wife, we both we both cut our teeth in the on the Amdram circuit back in the day and we know those characters and I mean and I think Christopher Guest is probably one of the most underrated actors character actors that there yeah. is in the world and sh- why hasn't he won an Oscar for or been or why why isn't he the male equivalent of Meryl Streep that is such a good point it's because he's incredibly understated and he doesn't like toot his own horn and also because he writes and directs and I think people take it sort of forget to go, oh, and also he's incredible. But he's actor. in control, isn't he? He's in control of his own work and I think yeah. that's... And so therefore he probably hasn't sold out to the big studios. Not that Meryl Streep has, but... but and, and you know, Meryl Streep doesn't make her own stuff necessarily, but, mm. but I think the fact that he hasn't... He wants to be in control and do his own thing. And I mean, some of them, you know, maybe aren't as good as others, but, but I mean... So some people might watch Waiting for Guffman and not get it, but we mm. do. I get it. I just think it's fucking funny. Yeah. The way that the way that 
those characters are so well constructed and the relationships and the way that the rehearsal process is put together and and the way that he plays Corgi, that guy who runs the theatre class, and you never see his wife. <laughs> he's, always, he's always talking about her and the dresses yeah. that she's got and all this kind of... It's just so funny. And the, the dentist and his... What, Eugene... Um, she's Levy. Second, Eugene Levy, who I think is fucking incredibly funny. Yeah. And his wife, um, who's the incredible Canadian actress is Home Alone's mom. I can't remember her name, but they're just so fucking funny together. And, yeah. and they're obviously having such a good time because they were all, they're an ensemble of, yeah. of, of actors. It's like, it's, you know, it's a comedy troupe. And, but so, but, but it all comes from a place of truth, which for me is what, going back to what you're talking about with King George and, yeah. and, and any sort of comedy, that's what makes me laugh is when people are truthful. Why is Morecambe and Wise funny? Because they were fucking truthful. Everything they did, they played it for truth. When it's gaggy, when it's about a gag or making people laugh, it's not funny to me. Whereas when Morecambe and Wise come down that staircase, ready to open the show with the top hat and tails and the fucking stairs are missing, and they're instead of doing a big gag, they continue and try to get down the stairs. That's what's funny. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas I find some comedy these days goes on a bit. <laughs> it's too it's it's like we're gonna be funny and i'm not doing it in an american accent necessarily but that's we're showing you that we're funny and it's like yeah, yeah we know but now move on you know and some of the funniest moments in in waiting for guffman are just mm. the tiniest moments because they're yeah. truthful it's got nothing to do with plot it's got nothing to do with where the gag lands you know it's just him talking about doing a little a little move you know like the bit where it's all nuance with him, isn't it? It's of all... course, yeah, and that's yeah. and that's why I think Ricky Gervais is funny and mm. and just those little moments. You know, you remember moments in, in on film that my agent said this to me once. You know, films are defined by moments, I like and that. you know, like you can remember in um, with Nail and I, you remember the moment where the guy goes, "Get in the back of the van," because it's a moment. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. It's truthful. That's who I like. I like Christopher Guest, and I think he's very funny, and I'd love to work with him one day. Fucking hell. Oh, my God, I'd love to. Michael Gibson, you have been excellent. Um, Thank you. Now, the thing is... A little bit unprepared, when... but, yeah, but good. Listen, well, we'll tell the audience, you hadn't done your homework. You were quite shocked when I said, have you done the homework? But the thing is, you absolutely... <laughs> I, I, it was as if you had. Well, it, uh, it goes back to the question about how do I want to die? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I like to just do it. <laughs> so I'll use that. Now, when you were walking down the street um, and a actor from the film Street Fighter uh, was rehearsing in the street behind you, you didn't see him, you didn't hear him. He had a um, samurai sword and he was swinging it about. Yeah. And you were just walking along, whistling. You were humming the tune from E.T. And the samurai sword, he spun around and he chopped your head off. It was instant. Bang. Your head fell off, rolled into the road. It was run over by a truck. Squashed yeah. into the cement. The rest of your body lay there, blood gushing out of your neck. Someone screamed. They kicked you in their shock into the road. Another truck <laughs> drove over your body. Absolutely like a piñata. Just fucking mess everywhere. Sounds great. I'm walking along. I see all this. I'm like, fucking hell. The, ge yeah. that ge the geezer from Hamilton. He's, a f oh, he's absolutely battered. <laughs> I go over... <laughs> I get a shovel, I've got to pack him up, right? But you're everywhere and you're sprayed into the cement. I've got to get a digger to get some of you out. 
I've got this coffin, it's the size of you, but because of all this fucking mess, there's more of you than I was planning for. I have to stuff it in the coffin, absolutely stuff it in. Yeah. But it's ram, it's ram jammed in there. There's only enough room in this coffin for one DVD that I could maybe slide into the side for you to take over to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show when it's your movie night in heaven? Go, Michael Gibson, please. When it's my movie night. The film you are showing to everyone in heaven. I think it would probably be The Goonies. They'd have a right old laugh. Because I would be it. Because I would be in control. Because I'd go and then this bit. What? I know because I know it. I just know it back to front, and I do that with my wife. So and other people who haven't seen it. So, um, yeah. I mean, it sounds really cliched, but it's a fucking great film. You can have it. I don't know that someone else has taken it. If they have, you'll be watching it twice a week, and that's fine. Uh, is there anything you would like to tell anyone to look out for? Anything you'd like to plug? Anything at all? Anything I'd like to plug? This will be out by the time this has been on. I'm, I'm in this thing called Isolation Stories at the moment, which was on, I was actually on it last night. Check that out on ITV Hub. I'm, I, Quiz was just on. Watch that. It's going to be on in the States for those who, um, which is the thing about the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire thing. Uh, very popular. I've not watched it yet. Everybody loves yeah, it. Yeah, it was very, very good. I'm very proud to be a part of that. Um, who are you in that, man? I, I play Tequin Whittock, who's the guy that coughs or uh, allegedly was coffer. coughing. I'm the coffer, so it's a nice part. For me Sweet. to do, and it's great to work with Stephen Frears, um, and that and Matthew McFadden is incredible in it. Um, I've got quite a lot coming out. I'm in a thing called Honor, which is about uh, an honor killing ITV, um, which was meant to be on sort of nowish, but they've pushed it because it's quite a grim story um, with, with the circumstances. That's Keely Hawes is the lead in that, and I'm in that with a guy called Mark Stanley, who's smashing it at the moment in lots of independent movies and stuff. I'm in a thing called Last Night in Soho. Which is um, uh, Edgar Wright's thing. Yeah, yeah, I've got a, oh, I've got a nice moment in that. I play. There's a call. I, I, I'm an interrogation police officer. Me, um, me and um, Louise. I'll remember this in a minute. Anyway, we we interrogate um, Thomason McKenzie, who is an incredible actress who's smashing yeah. it at the moment. She's like. 19 or something and she's from New Zealand and I'd never heard of her she walked on set and I literally my jaw was on my on my table is she from Tell No One I mean uh, Leave No Trace yes yes that girl plays the daughter in that and she's in she's in in Jojo Rabbit as well and things like she's amazing I was just like I couldn't believe how incredible she was she was She's she's playing a she's from New Zealand originally, but she's playing a girl from Cornwall, and her accent was insane. Wow. She was so good, so lovely, so normal, and incredibly talented. So I'm in that. I've got a nice moment in that. I play a copper. It's quite a funny scene. It's great to work with Edgar Wright. I'm in a film called I don't know what they're calling it now. It's called when I did it, it was called An Unquiet Life. It might have changed now. Working title about Roald Dahl and Patricia Neal, which Hugh Bonneville's in, and I play. I play a nice role in that at the beginning of the film, like the prologue of the film, really. It's it's me and Hugh right. Bonneville doing a scene, which is cool, and that's going to be out at some point. I'm also in a thing called A Discovery of Witches, which is a film, ah. a TV series on Sky. I'm in the second which season. My friend Stephen Cree is in. That's right, yeah. We were at yes. it. I was in Italy filming yeah. filming that two weeks before the pandemic kicked off. Like We were literally in this oh, episode, so I'm like, have we caught this and brought this back? So... Anyway, so yeah, Steve Cree was great. We had a great laugh. So I was, I play the bad guy in one of the episodes of that. So I did all my stuff with Steve. I was in 1917. That came out. 
and then quiz. But no, other than that, there's there's nothing else. That I don't think I'm in. But yeah, there's last question: else. How many takes did you do in, in 1917? Your bit in the end, I think it was about 15. Again, going back to that word collaboration and, and a team. I mean, Sam Mendes was like the coolest cucumber I've ever seen in my life on a on a set like that. He was yeah. so in control and so lovely and so organised. I mean, even though we, we ended up being behind schedule because the sun came out and we couldn't shoot, mm-hmm. they wrapped like eight days ahead of schedule right. because they were so ahead of the game. And they were so, we were so well. It was like theatre. We went in, we rehearsed. Yeah. Sam knew exactly where I was meant to be standing. You're going to be here. We've worked this out. You've just got to bring the character to life. Blah, blah, blah. We did it. We rehearsed it. And then the sun came out, so we couldn't shoot. So we just kept rehearsing. So then when the sun went in, we just shot it like 15 times. And he was like, you guys are fine. We're just fucking the cameras up. Let's just keep doing it. Keep doing it. And we just reset and shoot. And then we shot it. And it was Did you just do it in a day? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, uh, on paper, I should have gone in on the Monday, rehearsed, and then filmed it on the Tuesday and wrapped. And we'd rehearsed it by the Monday. But then the sun came out, so we didn't shoot it till the Friday. So we kept dipping back in and rehearsing. And then, but I yeah, we shot it. I think the sun came out like in the afternoon and I'd shot it within three hours. It was, it was insane. Love that. It was That's an incredible brilliant. thing to be a part of. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing Pleasure. This. Thank yeah. you. It's lovely to, lovely to properly meet you and like have, yeah. a, have a proper banter. And I hope you have a lovely death. I'm going to stop recording my mic now and then we can say goodbye. Bye. So that was episode 118. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 25 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Michael. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Go on. And instead of saying what you think of the podcast, write about the film that means the most to you and why. I do read them. I do love them. God bless you. Thank you so much to Michael for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come to the live show on Saturday with Alistair Green. Watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus and watch Soulmates on AMC. So much admin. Come and join me next week where my next guest will be someone amazing. You know that. So that is it for now. I hope you're all very well. Have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more. Online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.